Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interviewed Danny Kennedy, CEO of New Energy Nexus. New Energy Nexus is an international organization with one clear goal, to support startups and founders focused on pioneering new clean energy technologies. Whether it's hardware or software, they all trickle into one unified goal, helping 100% of the world grow from dirty or old energy to new energy, hence the name, New Energy Nexus. And in the episode, Danny and I will discuss getting his start in the world of environmentalism as a campaign manager for Greenpeace Australia Pacific, leaving Greenpeace to start one of the world's first major solar companies, launching New Energy Nexus, and finally, how he and his team plan to support 100,000 startups by the year 2030. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Danny Kennedy, CEO of New Energy Nexus. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Danny, we have a lot of ground to cover today. I'm very excited to be educated on all things solar and alternative energy. Let's start with your current area of focus, which is New Energy Nexus. What are you working on there? So we are a global organization that your listeners may not have heard of, but hopefully will a lot more soon. We have 70 folk around the world supporting startups in clean energy. So new energy is the words that the Chinese actually use for renewables rather than alternative or clean or dirty or anything. They're just, this is the new thing and fossil fuels are the old thing. So we adopted that to describe the work we're in. And the Nexus word says what we do, join the dots, connect people to capital, train them, give them resources. And so we have teams running accelerators, incubators, and funds in 10 important markets on climate change around the world. And just to give you a sense, last year in 2020, we supported about 200 startups directly. We probably diligenced over 2,000 to get those 200 into our sort of funnel. And we did everything from making grants to them, putting debt into their businesses for working capital or whatever, equity investments. And then we trained many entrepreneurs and founder teams and startups in various stages of their business development. So I could tell you all sorts of war stories, but we're basically the world's largest platform now for clean energy companies coming up to fill out this energy transition. Wow. Okay. Danny, there's a lot I want to unpack there, the mechanics of the programs, but I think it'd be useful to establish some context. Why is Danny an authority on new energy. So if we rewind, help us connect the dots. What were you working on before New Energy Nexus? And help us understand why is Danny the kind of authority on all things new energy? I, I loathe to say I'm the authority on everything, but I, I have a long potted history that makes me somewhat able to opine and provide resources and connections, which I love to do. I'm really a startup kind of guy and, and supporter of entrepreneurs as key agents of change. I've been an entrepreneur myself for the last sort of 15 years, starting a, a variety, mostly of solar companies, I pioneered some key innovations in the rooftop solar market in the US and around the world. But before that, for a prior 15 year career, I was more the sort of activist policy character in the case for climate solutions. So I 
cut my teeth back in the early 90s with Greenpeace as a, an activist, fighting the oil and gas industry as it was growing in the Pacific, running campaigns around export credit enhancements by various countries, including the United States, that were backing fossil fuels despite the destruction they created, including climate change. And then in the year 2000, I, I actually worked on a campaign to run a solar finance initiative in San Francisco that at the time was like the biggest public funding effort, $100 million to put wind and solar into the public utility in San Fran, which we won by a remarkable kind of 73% of the vote. And I went, aha, this solar thing, it was called the Vote Solar Initiative. And it led to a fantastic nonprofit called Vote Solar that has championed the policies and market settings across America that we need. But that eureka moment was my entry into doing solo. But then in 2006, I actually left Greenpeace, which I'd been running out of Australia for the Pacific region for five years after the 2000 campaign and started a solar company called Sungevity. And that was really a pioneer of two key innovations. One was solar leasing, which allowed the, the CapEx problem of solar sales to go away for residential customers. And then we also made it really easy and convenient for customers to go solar by inventing what we now call remote solar design, the sort of ubiquitous tool set you see online to get quotes and engineering done without going to the house, which is really a huge cost saving in the kind of what was then a cottage industry and is now becoming a scaled multi-gigawatt, multi-hundred billion dollar sector in the rooftop solar market. So Sungevity was my life for five or six years during which time I also helped start another finance company called Mosaic, which has become the leader in solar loan business in the States, and a couple others, one in the Pacific called Sunagize, which became the first solar as a service business of scale out of Fiji and addressing a lot of the Pacific Island countries that I'd worked in when I was with Greenpeace over the years. And a company in Kenya that's the first non-state-owned non -state electricity utility doing solar-based microgrids in rural Kenya. So, uh, as I say, a potted history, but really got into the business of starting up startups with a, a private incubator called Powerhouse, which I helped found. And that, in turn, led me to the California Clean Energy Fund, which is the state's partner in clean energy startups. And that's the hub of New Energy Nexus, um, the oldest part or chapter of New Energy Nexus, which we're now running out globally with chapters in in 10 countries uh, and cities around the world. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but, you know, bit of a no. bit of a no. path to get there. I All I have to say is I think what, what Danny is telling us is that he does not have a personal life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's, this, he wakes up and this is he gets right to work. Danny, I, I have to hand it to you, man. It is one of the most impressive kind of decades-long – resumes of work I've seen. And uh, if you look at it, the thing that intrigues me most is you were so bullish on a particular belief about what the future should look like before it was consensus. And you're not BSing this. If anyone goes to Danny Kennedy on his LinkedIn, you can just look at the timestamps. You were working on these things long before they were vogue. And so... I just got to tip my hat to to just being confident around what the future could and should look like. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it 
should and it really will. I think the good news to share with the audience is this is now in the inevitability phase. We're not going back. You don't, when you've run a city on a nuke or a coal-fired power plant and it's clouded up the air and killed your kids with cancer, and then you realize you can run it on wind and solar with no fuel input, lower cost, and none of that muck in the sky, you don't go, oh, I want to build the coal thing again. And just Elon has tapped the magic of electric vehicles and found that once you've driven an electric car, you realize electric engines are simply better. If you like torque, if you like acceleration, electric. If you like quiet rather than noise, electric. Like all of it is better performance, better option, lower cost. And we're not deciding to discard what we've come up with in the last decade and and go back to the dumb, dirty ways of the 20th century. The challenge for me, Peter, is simply, can we get it done in time? We have a pretty tight deadline on a massive transition in the electricity and mobility Mm -hmm. markets of basically a decade. And what we're talking about is more upheaval and disruption than those two pretty stable markets, the automobile sector, the trucking sector, the shipping sector, and the electricity business. They're going to go through more change this decade than they've done in a century, which is amazing space for startups, fantastic investment ground, but not for the you know faint of heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Danny, what I want to do before we dig into the work of New Energy Nexus is given how much you've seen the industry go through breakthroughs, go through the resistance, then that first person front of the ride seat I think it'd be useful to map the opportunity and challenge landscape. In other words, Mm -hmm. to what extent is uh, large-scale or meaningful deployment of new energy a breakthrough problem versus boots-on-the-ground project development? I I have my own thoughts here, but I, I would love to hear, help the listeners understand yeah. What are the key levers to help us go from zero or where we are today to 100%? Sure. And you don't have to take sort of Danny's word for it. I've got a strong sense from the experience and, and how hard and fast the ride has been already. But we're really just at the, <laughs> the bend in the curve, that famous S-curve of adoption with uh-huh. cell phones and TVs and whatever. We're just still at the flat bit, just turning up into the straight upward vertical segment of the curve but the the citation i would use to answer your question is probably bloomberg new energy finances new energy outlook it's a study they publish annually and it's you know very credible analysts rather than just me waving my arms in the air and a couple of years ago they did a really good effort to try to model what 2050 would look like to get to the sort of numbers of deployed renewables in the electricity sector and then the electrification of everything else downstream of electricity like transport systems all our vehicle fleets industry that you can electrify which is most things like cement and steel and so on and the quick answer to your question is we have to if we're going to do all that electrify everything with renewable electricity by 2050 three decades from now you, you more than 4x the deployment of renewables that we've had in the last two decades. The, as I say, the experience since the turn of the century, when I first you know ran that campaign for Vote Solar, till now has been a hell of a ride, and yet it's going to have to 
4x in speed and scale. And as well as that, to so that's the deployment challenge, which is a, a whole lot of startups, right, doing new businesses in new markets. It may not be very inventive startups. They don't need to necessarily invent new mousetraps. The, the solar panels work well. They have to work out how to sell them in their potential application space, whether that's bottom of the pyramid in Africa where a billion people are going to get electricity in that period, or whether that's rooftop market in Indonesia where Islamic debt finance is required because it's Sharia law there and the PPAs and solar leases we have in the States don't apply. So there's a whole lot of ingenuity required to do this massive scale up of deployment. As well as that, Peter, we have to invent some things that we don't currently have for that world of 100% renewable electricity and everything plugged into that grid. And those things look Mm -hmm. like sort of smart software systems and energy storage systems. And we think of them as batteries and the grid service and power electronics we've got, but probably they're much different, more like the internet to the the telephone you and I grew up with last century. And we're going to invent a lot of new kit. And Bloomberg in this study that I mentioned, the New Energy Outlook, did they called that technology X, this whole set of things. And that technology set has to be invented this decade so it can be commercialized. Because normally an R&D project in a lab somewhere takes about 10 years to get out of the science stakes and into the market. And then it has to scale from 2030 to 2050, these long duration storage tools, these new software systems to manage grids that are running bi-directional power from all sorts of sources. And your car is not just like something that you charge, it's something that you make money from by discharging and all that stuff. Those things have to scale to a level of capacity in the the power system that's akin to where nukes is today, just to give you like a comparison. So if you think about the nuclear power sector invented in wartime, 1945-ish, scaled into civil uses, but with the backing of the military industrial complex through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and then deployed with massive subsidy to this day, because it's the most expensive power we produce on earth because of all the costs of it. But it got to, with all that government backing and support, it got to a certain percentage of the global grid, less than 20, but probably more than 10. And this new tech X set that we have to invent this decade has to become as big as that just a couple of decades later. Wow. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. Thank you for clarifying. I, I feel like a fanboy over here because now you've triggered a whole cascade of other real-time questions that you're spurring in my mind. One of them being, we have a lot of aspiring climate founders on the show. These are professionals who work in completely unrelated industry who would like to either start their own thing under the broader kind of climate opportunity landscape or join Mm -hmm. a company doing so. And I'm deeply interested in the deployment opportunity set, things that are ready made, and then helping deploy that to the masses. Can you help our listeners understand what those types of opportunities look like? Yeah. And let me say, come on board. Welcome in. This is a wonderful time to be jumping on this solar coaster, as I call it, because solar is going to be the dominant technology set to be deployed. When I say solar, that's shorthand for mostly photovoltaics. The thing that silicon cell was the most common type of 
solar product and and we're going to not just put that in the same standard modules wrapped in glass and aluminium that you're familiar with now on every rooftop, but we're going to make the skin of the building photovoltaic. We're going to make the windows photovoltaic. We're going to make the streetscape photovoltaic, the sidewalk, the car itself, the skin of it, the, the clothes you wear, all of which will need matching ways to deploy the electricity created when the sunlight falls on it. And that's a, a problem for inversion or converters into useful AC current and, and stored in batteries or some system of storage which makes it available for when it's needed to match supply and demand just in time, much of which needs to be mediated by software. So if your listeners are in the high-tech space, and for example, they've grown up in internet businesses, which many founders looking to do something useful for the world rather than just build another app for this or that, not to belittle too much that sort of business, but there's a whole industry in creating wants, not needs, shall we say. And if they want to get into the climate solution space, then there's plenty of room to deploy them in companies or creating niches that that are needed. My chair, actually, of the board of New Energy Nexus is a a fantastic entrepreneur called Vic Shao, who has built a bunch of software businesses, but in the last couple go rounds has gotten into this world. And one was called Green Charge Networks, which he exited to Angie, the big French utility, but it was basically one of the first big battery storage businesses plugging into the grid. And now he's got this great company called Ampli Power, which takes over the bus depot and transit agency fuel management needs for electrification. So just imagine you're a you know, transit agency somewhere in America running a fleet of buses with a certain duty cycle and a diesel bill every month. He says, what's your diesel bill? I'm going to sell you the system to run buses and transport people on those same duty cycles, but they're going to be electric buses. We're going to switch out all the kit in your depot, your bus yard, because you're going to need charging stations, not diesel tanks. And I'm going to finance that whole thing for you, all the CapEx up front, which is millions and millions of dollars, so long as you sign this contract for me for the miles you'll travel and commit to pay it for a certain term. And the bus depot manager looks at that and says, but that's less than I'm paying today. The OPEX of this system means that it's cheaper total cost of ownership or life cycle for the bus to do its job, the bus agency to do deliver all the people around. Because Vic is managing that with software to make it hyper-efficient and also when able arbitraging some of the value of the electrons into the grid. So if they're charging all the buses one summer when there's no bus runs because the kids are off school and they can stop charging because there's a capacity need on the grid and they get paid for that, then they can make money on top of it. Or if they can discharge the batteries and vehicle to grid technology is one of these, you know, breakthroughs that is going to come, the tech X type stuff, then they can sell the electrons for the place next door or they can provide backups and, and wildfire resilience for a segment of the grid that needs to be islanded due to fires or something other in different circumstances. So it's just a, an example to give your audience a taste for the million and myriad ways they can jump in and get involved. And we work with an organization called Work on Climate that actually helps place fellows, they call them climate fellows, that are sort of high-tech professionals looking to volunteer or get involved in projects for startups 
We also have a really rich Slack community called the New Energy Nexus Network. And there's 2,700 or so people in there that are mostly like founders and starters. And they're literally collaborating in real time in that Slack, trying to match needs and people with skills and what they got. And so maybe your listeners can get involved in that Slack. Danny, I could go on and on, but I, I think what I'd love to do is segue to New Energy Nexus because one of the things that caught my attention was this brave goal you have published on the site. And for anyone listening, their stated goal, what I'd probably, in other words, categorize as a moonshot, is to support 100,000 startups to succeed by 2030. <laughs> 100,000 startups. We'd love to hear your perspective on A, how that becomes possible, and B, the different ways that New Energy Nexus is enabling it across the different programs and tools that you're providing to these different startups. Sure. It, it is a big risky, audacious, visionary, and exponential goal. That's why we called it a brave goal. And it's because we think it's what the world needs, or it's a small piece of what the world needs, but we want to help drive it and support entrepreneurs as the key agents to the climate solution we have to have this decade. And when you think about it, it sounds like a hell of a lot, but if you're talking about a a market transformation, a disruption of major economic sectors like electricity and the transport business and the industry and cement and all this stuff, there's well more than 100,000 companies that are needed to succeed to make that true in China, America, India, Indonesia, Nigeria, these massive populations with rising energy appetites and and transitioning to these technology sets. Again, to analogize, if that's a word, the ICT, the information and communication technology revolution we've lived through the last few decades, there's clearly more than a million businesses just in the States doing everything from broadband cable guy kind of work to writing the code and keeping the routers going and laying the new optic fiber. And we, we can imagine numbers of that size and some of them will become unicorns. Tesla is an example and our precursor to New Energy Nexus, the California Clean Energy Fund from which we grew, was actually an early stage investor in Tesla, like around series A when Elon joined. Uh, we also, for the record, sold our stock when they went public. But, you know, we've ridden this giant sort of disruption curve with them, but also with other companies, like some you may not have heard of, like Bridge Lux, which transformed your light bulb from the old incandescent when you were a kid to the LED you get today in a hotel room or wherever. Solar Century, which is Europe's biggest solar deployer we were early on. So we've seen it. We just need to see it in spades and we need to see 100,000 of them to achieve anything like the value creation, job creation, technology disruption story that we expect. So to answer the question, what do we, New Energy Nexus, do to help make that happen? As I mentioned at the outset, we we have teams in China, the US, in California and India, and a team mostly centered around Colorado running a global program called Third Derivative, which is the world's largest pure clean tech accelerated hard science stuff. We have teams in the sort of emerging economy markets like 
India that I mentioned, but Indonesia, Vietnam, the Philippines, Thailand. And we've really just started in the African continent with a program in Uganda that accelerates and finances last mile distribution businesses. Now, these will never be high enterprise value companies of the kind I created in California over the last decade, but they will be amazing impact propositions. Touching already with 100 companies we've started in Uganda over the last five years or so, something like 70,000 people with products like solar lamps to replace their kerosene lamps and better cook stoves to reduce the amount of firewood they burn, which is obviously a carbon and indoor air pollution problem but it also just helps them and saves them money and stuff. We train women entrepreneurs mostly to, to provide those services in the last mile of that country in Africa where there are 20 million people or so without power. So we're just starting at, at that massive transition wow. and to achieve energy access for all. So it, it, it's a full range of programs. In, in Kampala, the capital of Uganda, we have a microfinance lending license effectively to help finance those products that we sell through those entrepreneurs' businesses. In Singapore, we have an equity fund, a vehicle to invest in Indonesian startups because that massive nation of 300 million people going through a transition this decade from coal to clean has not one VC focused on energy investments, literally, because it's historically been a massive protected monopoly of coal companies. And now we're seeing these disruptive forces of low-cost clean energy coming in and changing that, but there's no one to back them. So we set up a little equity vehicle wow. to begin that sort of market. In India, we had we found that debt was more needed, willing to take risks on rooftop solar. So we started a fund in 2018 that does rooftop and commercial industrial sector investments to, to prove out the space so that local debt can follow. Like what happens mm -hmm. at these markets this is what I experienced with Sanjevity and, and similar companies 12 years ago in America is someone's got to be the pioneer and take the arrows in the chest. And then later there'll be easier work to be done. And when you take the sort of first risk position, you're often got expensive cost of capital, or you need to make it concessionary and be willing to take hits and risks. And then as you underwrite and you get a sense of the default rates and all that sort of stuff with the customer, there's not really any technology risk anymore in any of these deployments. You can get other forms of finance to follow and, and flow in behind. Mm -hmm. So it's horses for courses, Peter. We, we do a bunch of things. I'd love to tell you more about them, but don't want to bore your listeners too much. No, it's super fascinating. I mean, even just on some of these Pacific-oriented or African-oriented programs, Gates talks a lot about this. In developing markets, there isn't a better time than now. Yesterday would have been better than today. But today is the best time to introduce developing economies to new energy opportunities. Instead of them getting hooked on diesel and old energy, this is quite literally the best time for people to deploy new energy solutions to these different economies. That is right. We've been struggling for decades with the sort of the stubborn fact that there's still hundreds of millions, billion almost people that don't have what we take for granted, electricity. They can't flick a switch and get the information, entertainment, cooking, services, lighting, all the rest of it that we just don't even think about. And that's a really stubborn equity issue in the world and a poverty problem that 
we have a goal called SDG7, the Sustainable Development Goal number seven of the United Nations to get energy access for all by 2030. That's not going to be met by dirty energy. Like just the speed and cost of building out a grid based around big steam boiling units that were literally invented and barely innovated over 200 years from the 1800s, that ain't going to happen in many of these markets. Instead, this modern technology invented in America in 1954 called solar and the batteries invented in America in the 1970s, lithium ion that we use for our laptops and stuff, they're going to make a whole new bundle of technology possible to get into the hands of people at a speed and scale that the fossil fuel industry just can't contemplate. And at a cost structure, which is a you know, fraction. That, that's the amazing thing is what happened over the last decade is solar went from being expensive to being the cheapest source of electricity ever from any technology anywhere on earth. The International Energy Agency, which is really a bureaucracy beholden to big oil and, and the, just at the end of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, kind of declared, finally, they capitulated and said, solar will be king. There's just no reason to use another technology. In most cases, when you're building a power capacity, like you need a grid upgrade or to fill out a power source for a new demand center in a market, wherever it is, you're probably going to now fill that need with wind or solar most likely solar. Like I think 95% of new additions last year, even China, which everyone worries about because it's been building coal to build out its very enormous economy and meet its billion plus populations needs last year, stopped building coal more than it was building wind and solar. So it's the first year just to be clear that more wind and solar were built in China than was coal. And just FYI, the Chinese economy is doing the same thing with cars. Actually, in 2017, the internal combustion engine peaked in China. The huge growth market of China is its middle class rises buying private vehicles, but they're buying less and less ICE cars. Last year, it was down about 10, 14%, I think. And in the meantime, EVs are up 10%, even in the pandemic. And EVs obviously are booming in China with t- dozens of brands and Tesla's main market there now. And that's just history. It is the landline to the cell phone. That's what's happening in front of our very eyes. So enormous opportunity space. Again, challenge really is can we get it done in the time required? I, I think what I, I want to do before we get into just a couple of fun questions is double click into a program that's close to home. You know, I live here in New York City. I'm clicking into your New York program, and it's interesting, mm. right? It brings me mm-hmm. to thecleanfight.com, powered by New Energy Nexus. Mm-hmm. So maybe demystify, like, how, how exactly does the collaboration work there? And what are the mechanics for a program like that? How exactly is New Energy Nexus supporting this New York program? Yep. Great example. So New York State has pretty radical decarbonization goals for the built environment. By 2025, there's this ambition to fix your 
building stock and make it much more carbon friendly, you know, like meaning less leaky, more energy efficient, powered by renewables where it can be or clean energy solutions right from the foundation and concrete all the way up through the radiators below the windows. And fixes for that, to do that by 2025, are, are few and far between, to be honest. There's very little what's called an ESCO sector in New York, the energy services companies that kind of fix those things. Basically, New Yorkers, the steam boilers of the mainstream electricity generators haven't innovated much since they built that building stock for the last century. And so we were engaged by NYSERDA, the New York State Energy R&D Authority, to create this program to bring the best and brightest from around the world to New York to help the state meet those goals. And so we built a great team in the clean fight led by Kate Frusher and, and a wonderful team of about six who scoured the globe and New York for the best solutions to that built environment's problems. And we attracted a couple hundred applications for sort of a program which we offered that would match startups with off takers of their services and make it easier for them to come to the state and sell their wares basically. And we have a little bit of money to, to throw in with that to help with like factoring and working capital as they build their businesses. So it's really a late stage accelerator for businesses that are at revenue. A lot of our work is in the ideation phases and pre-prototype. This is post-prototype where we want someone with a better mousetrap than what's available in market and we'll help you get that out and to scale in the empire state and so we really just began the real programming a few months ago the nine startups were selected in november december and just announced with the first big hookups with the corporates happening now so we got a, a sort of a who's who of new york real estate all the actual reits the investors that own blocks and buildings the landlords the big campuses, including public and private sector owners, all sorts of classes of buildings engaged in this conversation. And we matchmake them. And we're literally like, here, this company from you know Malaysia's got a better boiler. Th these guys have a way to control your radiators in your buildings. These guys have a solution to your concrete carbon problem. And we're right in the throes of that sort of handholding right now. But what we want is companies with real projects in the market doing business, not demos and pilots as much as just execution and contracts to start scaling such that they'll invest more team, talent, time in the New York market so that sector can grow and then we'll do it again and do it again and do it again. Wow. That's a great example. But yeah, and that is the clean fight. That's New York's biggest challenge and wow. we've taken it on with the state and, and a bunch of great startups. Danny. Love this, love this. I'm friends with the people over at Plug and Play. And before Plug and Play, I, I had never been aware of a model of this nature. And I, I genuinely believe it is the most entrepreneur, founder aligned financing slash just opportunity across, I think, any type of financing vehicle available. Non dilutive capital, truly outcome aligned partners that matchmake you with company defining relationships That's what right. you guys are doing here with clean these are like you said you're looking for slightly later stage startups right these are people with products and services in market with some type of validation but non-dilutive grants with 
some of the best business development corporate partners, there's a, this type of collaboration is a no brainer for people that want to very quickly 10x their impact. It's crazy. I love it, yep. Danny. This is awesome. And that's how we try to roll, Peter, wherever we go. As founder-friendly as we can, our purpose is to support the startups. That We really believe the entrepreneur is the hero of this story. And, and she might look very different to Elon. We're not hallowing, raising up that sort of image. It doesn't need to be like that. It can be just a really good solar contractor spreading the stuff in Bangkok or someone fixing the crazy air conditioning bills of Koh Samui or some tropical island in Indonesia. And those business people that create those companies and make them go despite all the challenges we all know small businesses have to become slightly larger, they're the the heroes of this piece. And we want to really uplift them and make them succeed. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get some grant money from the state of New York or California or the IKEA Foundation or the Asia Development Bank will take it all day long and put it to work in the <laughs> right way to support these startups. It's. I have to say, I'm actually seeing this work being deployed as a, a renter here, a tenant in a, a big New York City building. Maybe over the last four or five months, for the first time, I saw the energy rating posted on the front of the building. Like how hmm. restaurants have their own hmm. clean and safety ratings. It's yep. the first time I've ever seen an energy efficiency rating posted front and center when you're walking into the building. My building's rating is a D. It pains my heart because I there's I signed up for Green Mountain Energy, right? They tag mm-hmm. on another eight, nine dollars a month. I'm happy to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But oh man, just to see that and feeling powerless is a, a shitty situation, to be honest. Yeah, but to give credit to Nysota and Governor Cuomo and others, they're trying to take it on and trying to tackle that exact problem. The building stock is old and funky Mm -hmm. and full of holes. And that's what we're trying to help them with. And this is the story of the decade. It's going to be the right-minded political will that is now coming up with Biden's America, but the European Green Deal, China's 14th five-year plan. Everyone and their mother is trying to get on this bandwagon because we've suddenly realized we've got a problem um, called climate change. And it's going to take... (laughs) All of them setting up the table and then startups at scale joining the feast and getting into that. And some of them will make them fortunes and some of them will flame out and and crash and burn. And hopefully we humans can collaborate at a level sufficiently more than compete, I think is the point, to make all that possibility. Clean your building up, Mm -hmm. make everything in New York as tight as it can be save everyone money and reinvest it in good things rather than just waste. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty picture. We just have to get highly coordinated. And, and that's what mm-hmm. New Energy Nexus is trying to do for a piece of that puzzle. Wow. One more question before the, uh, the book ends. What is your request for startups? What types of opportunities are you looking to fund, but you're not seeing enough people tinker and experiment in those key critical areas? Great question. I think deployment in the massive emerging markets of Asia and Africa, these countries that are going from a thousand kilowatt hours per annum per capita, if they're lucky people in those countries to, you know, somewhere closer to where we are, 10,000 kilowatt hours per annum per capita or something as American citizens, they're going to need a whole lot of things. And, and especially if we also electrify 
mobility services broadly, whether they're shared and public transit or whether they're private vehicles and the like. So that's a graphic statement of need. We need to focus on that. And I don't mean white savior figures flying in and flying out of you know West Africa and finding solutions, but rather teaming up with West Africans for homegrown solutions, but bringing some of the smarts and technology. One of my favorite companies that we gave an award to a couple of years ago is called Switch that does a really cool diesel displacement technology that was led by a Nigerian woman, grew up in the States some of her life, but really understood the use case and the consumer experience of bad diesel generators. And she teamed up with a technologist from Stanford to create this product, and they're now deploying it at some scale in Nigeria. So Stories like that would love to see more of. And then a second answer is is non sort of spatial or geographic and it's more thematic and it's around financial innovation. Because basically, Peter, it's the money that is the grease on the skids now to the deployment. The fact is new versus new and even new versus old, we can replace dirty energy with clean energy on an economic basis, but most of it needs to be financed. You have to fund the upfront cost of all that, whether it's retiring a coal fleet and replacing it with wind and solar farms and storage capacities and stuff, or whether it's getting someone out of a, a, a clunker and putting them into a nice EV with a higher upfront cost, but a lower operating expense because it's got no belts and gears and grease and maintenance needs and no fuel cost, but that has to be financed. So financial innovation is actually an enormous clean energy boost. Not a lot of people get that. So your listeners are probably thinking, what technology can I invent? Invent a better fund, invent a better tool, a piece of software to help scale debt origination or securitization in a safe, transparent way. Blockchain is going to be an enormous tool in um, this process of change. So there's a, a universe of opportunity for startup founders and entrepreneurs in the financial innovation space, particularly if we're going to do this more equitably and justly and really put the power in the hands of the people, which is the real promise of this stuff. Like it's not just going to be distributed physically, but it's going to be distributed in terms of ownership and control. If you look at a lot of the community solar or the wind farms in Germany, they're actual farms, farmers harvesting a crop called wind to sell electricity. And that's better than single big monopolistic corporates that are slow to innovate and and just a vested interest that gets stuck in the way they do business as usual, rather than continually trying to answer the needs of the future. So that's the big vision and love to you know help your listeners get involved with New Energy Nexus and, and joining that Slack as a, maybe a place to start. Wow. Danny, my last question, and it's the question I ask every guest, it's what is one idea that you would love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now is just rotting away in your idea graveyard? Too many, Peter, but I love to see startups do things that I think would be a good thing to do and then I don't need to do it myself. So a great example, we've just backed a company last month with 100K in Nigeria doing solar-powered iceboxes is a way to think about it. It's called Grick D, G-R-I-C-D. You can look them up. They're actually featured on CNN 
because these solar-powered fridges are now being used for vaccine transport around Nigeria through these sort of back blocks and waterways that is how a lot of Nigerians get around in the Delta and stuff. They can be carried on the back of a motorbike or a boat and they carry these vaccines for COVID that we need to keep at certain temperatures and they're basically solar-powered. And I've long wanted someone to crack that nut, not for the sort of the better cooler for us to go tailgating at a, a, an Oakland Raiders game so much as for these applications in places like um, Nigeria and Grick D are exactly doing that. So my joy, Peter, in my life is that I get to work with startups, filling out all these dreams I have, which I'd never be smart enough to actually make happen and, and realize. So I'm just blessed to work with people that are doing it. Wow. Danny, there's nothing left to do but roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. We are hiring this year. We'll be building out the team. Please check out newenergynexus.com and the careers section all around the globe, really. And then, as I say, love to get people just sort of in the conversation in this Slack New Energy Nexus network. And you can join that and sign up for our newsletter as well at the website. Danny, first off, thank you for your time. I know given everything you just told us, The fact that you gave us a little bit of your time this evening, I feel truly humbled. So thank you for that. And secondly, man, you are deeply inspiring. So for anyone that is exploring opportunities, I just have to echo what Danny just said. Check out their site, newenergynexus.com. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Peter. Real treat. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.